Let's stand together and worship our Lord in song.
Father, we ask this morning as we gather from this first song to the last song in all that we do in our hearts with our voices that You would be praised, that You would be honored. And as we think about Your salvation and give testimony to faith through these baptisms, we thank You that You are a Savior who lives with us, who has provided forgiveness, and for whom we can express our joy and our thanks because You're always with us. In Christ's name, amen.
everyone. We have the privilege this morning of baptizing seven individuals who are excited to stand before you and tell you that they've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior and, and, want, and desire to be obedient to him. So sit back for a little while. They're going to give you their testimonies and um, you'll be excited and rejoice with what God is doing in their lives. I'm Nick Scott, and I have decided to be baptized because I want to publicly announce my faith in Christ and show that I strongly believe in it. My testimony starts with me being born to teenage parents. They tried to make it work with me, but it just wasn't working. So I started going back and forth from house to house, and my mom and dad both met great people who love me and protect me. My dad accepted Christ when I was six, and we started attending this church. I went to public school through fourth grade, and this is where I started being tested on my beliefs. Fourth grade was the most difficult because of my surroundings. I just did what I could do to fit in, which included foul language and, and acting completely wrong. My fourth grade teacher, Miss Devlin, told my dad she could see there was something different about me and I would do better in a different school. So the next year I went to the Christian Academy and this was the biggest turning point in my life. Immediately I saw how different it was with kids on the first day inviting me to play football and wanting to be friends so quickly. We went to class and I instantly saw that the teachers cared about me and what did it help me? At the end of the day, I went on the bus and met another good friend who asked if I accepted Christ into my heart. I said no, and he explained how I could. That moment, he prayed with me and walked through the prayer with me, and I asked God to forgive me and cleanse my heart white as snow. I have had the privilege to continue going to this school and increase my knowledge and faith in God. From going to school and church and studying for Bible class and sharing what I have learned with my family has also caused my mom to accept Christ into her heart, and I... Have, been, have seen her relationship with God grow as well. Going to this church and meeting lifetime friends is amazing. It was great to hear this summer that my mom had friends in the youth group that were praying for her and I before I was born. I have enjoyed growing up in this church with people seeing me grow in my faith, and I hope I make an impact in more people's lives. Thank you. Nick, because of your profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, trusting him as your personal Lord and Savior, and because of your desire to be obedient to him, it's my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. My name is Keed Poto, and I was saved in the third grade. I used to wonder how the world worked, so I asked my mom. She told me that God loved me so much, he sacrificed his son for me. Later that year, I confessed myself to Christ in Alden Union Bible Camp. I, was I want to be baptized because God commanded me to, and also because I love to be a part of his family. 
He, because of your profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, because of your desire to be obedient to him, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. My name is Kiara Peltzer, and I'm going to tell you why I want to be part of God's family. When I was in first grade, my mom told me stories about God and how wonderful he was. And when I started to read the Bible, I learned more about Jesus and how he is powerful. When my mom told me about ABC, I was excited to meet people just like me. When I was in the second grade, I joined the Spur Girls at church and learned more about God and how he died on a cross for my sins. During summer camp 2014, I accepted Jesus as my Savior during an out of call. And since then, I learned to pray every day. Today, I want to be baptized because I want to be a part of God's family. Harry, because of your profession of faith in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, and because of your desire to be obedient to him, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. baptized because Jesus died on the cross to save my sins and I want to be a being to him. Stephen, because you have professed Jesus as your Lord and Savior, because of your desire to be obedient to him, it's our privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm nine years old, and I want to get baptized because I want to show everybody that I have accepted Jesus into my heart. I know that singing and memorizing verses can't save me from my sins. I know that Jesus is my Savior because it says in John 3.16 that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Kenny, because of your profession of faith, that you have accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, and because of your desire to be obedient to him, it's my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hello everybody, my name is Sar Caramel, and I was saved when I was only six years old and here five years later I'm getting baptized following the Lord's command. Praise the Lord. Sar, because of your profession of faith in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior and because of your desire to be obedient to him, 
I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My name is Tomba, and I got saved when I was only four years old. And I want to get baptized because in the, in the Bible it says all believers should get baptized. My brother, because of your profession of faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, because of your desire to be obedient to him as a believer, it's my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Isn't that wonderful to see all these young people uh, coming to be baptized and telling everyone that, hey, I'm saved. Isn't that wonderful that he would do that? <laughs> you know I'm going to have to brag a little bit. I'm going to brag for her. This is Dixie Tyson. Now, she has been for the past 10 years our <coughs> coordinator of, of uh, children's ministries. And I think through her efforts and those of many, many teachers and others in the children's ministry programs, these children have grown, they've learned, they, and they've come to know the Lord and know the Lord even better. But we're here this morning to honor Dixie. As you know, Dixie, uh, many of you know, Dixie retired from her position of coordinator of children's ministries just the end of December. And uh, she, though through her efforts, an awful lot has happened. I would say that actually many of you have been direct beneficiaries of her work over those 10 years. Many of you have had your children go through all the departments, all the various activities of children's ministries. Some of you who are sitting here who are teenagers, some of you who are young adults, we're, direct, we're in those programs that she coordinated, worked with the teachers and other workers to give you the kind of program that you had to help you grow. And we here at All Union are particularly happy and thankful for everything that Dixie has done over these years. I'm going to read something from a letter we have prepared showing our appreciation to her. One word best summarizes all you have done over these years, and that word is dedication. You have followed what is taught in Ephesians 6, 6, and 7, which says, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord, not to man. Always she was working to do, to please the Lord, not caring what people thought, not trying to impress anybody, but doing the will of the Lord. 
Now, your dedication has been seen by unselfishly giving your time and energy weekly. You see her week after week after week out there getting the kids down to worship, kids worship, going around doing Bible school, making sure everything's all set, everybody has what they need, whatever else. Every Sunday morning, providing what was necessary to minister to the children during church worship services and during Bible school. You work to provide and organize curriculum and teaching materials needed by the teachers and staff. You have worked tirelessly to update the curriculum and to recruit teachers. That's a big job, to recruit teachers. By the way, we do need teachers. So some of you who have an interest maybe in this, think about that. We always can use teachers and workers in our children's programs. Had to throw that advertisement in. <clears throat> you have gone, you have also given valuable direction and help during Olden Bible Camp in the summer. And you heard there some of these young people came to know the Lord in Olden Bible Camp. <clears throat> now, there are a lot of other words we can say to characterize you. And they're all good. <laughs> but words like extremely dependable. Always consistent, friendly, encouraging, self-motivated. Your actions have showed your love for our children, our parents, and our workers. All these traits are major reasons why the children of Old Union Church have been well cared for spiritually, physically, and emotionally from week to week and year to year. <clears throat> so Dixie, we very much appreciate all that you've done for us over this 10 years. We're going to miss you. And as a token of our appreciation and to help you as you rest, we're, <clears throat> we're giving you a gift certificate to a bed and breakfast in the Lancaster County area so you can just enjoy that. You and Bob can take a little break. I know he's been supporting you all through this time, and we appreciate that too. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, you are a great and wonderful God. You know our needs and have provided all that we need. We thank you for providing Dixie and giving her the heart of a servant to service these 10 years. We thank you also at this time for Carolyn Roscoe Davis, who has now come on board to carry on the work of Coordinator of Children's Ministries and ask you to bless her and give her the strength and wisdom she needs to carry on this task for you and for all in union. Lord, we pray for all everyone who works in all the Christian education ministries here at uh, all in union. We thank you for Pastor Brock. We thank you for his leadership. We thank you for all the teachers, the workers, the helpers in all the many, many programs from nursery right on through the adult classes. Lord, bless each one. Give them wisdom. Give them the knowledge and the strength to serve you as they teach and work with everyone here at Old Union. In these things we pray in your precious name. Amen. Let's take a moment and greet everybody that you can in the next few seconds.
when the music plays, it doesn't mean I'm going to sing a solo. It means please try to find your seat again. Sorry to disappoint you. Special welcome to any of you who are visiting with us this morning. Uh, what we'd like to encourage you to do is to pick up this packet of information. It says, Welcome Home. And even if you've never been here before, we want you to feel like this is home. And that would be a reminder of that. We have a little small gift. I know it's only a pen. I wanted to give a car to all first-time visitors, but it doesn't fit on the packet here. We'd like to encourage you, if you will, there's a little card to take out of there, and then if you fill that out, you can give that to one of the greeters. But you can get this at any one of the exits as you leave from the greeters, or we have a welcome center in the back on the right. And at that welcome center in the back on the right, if you're not sure where you want to go to Bible school in the next hour, we can encourage you to talk to someone there. There's some very nice people there who would direct you to a Bible school class as well. A couple of announcements that I would like to, to make, and that one of them is if you have a haven't passed the friendship pad in your row yet. If you pass that back and forth after you sign that, and be sure to note the names of each person who is there. Uh, we have been granted one more day. It's been added to our normal schedule for the pictorial directory. You can read about the exact details in Alden Union Connect inside your bulletin. But the pictorial directory, one more day added, and that will, be, that will involve this Thursday evening. If you're not in the directory, if we don't have your picture, you realize it will be incomplete and we'll be very disappointed. I can imagine one day looking through there and if you're not there, how disappointed that I will be. So be sure to sign up if you haven't already. Uh, required to make this announcement according to our Constitution, the annual congregational meeting is February 10th at 7.30 p.m. A quorum of 138 is needed. The alternate date is February 17th. And I want to encourage you to read through the Alden Union Connect, particularly if you're a musician, if you're a singer, if you'd like to be a part of our spring cantata. That's going to be May 1st. It won't be at Easter time this year. Easter's coming very early, but we'll be having a musical or a cantata on May 1st. This Saturday from 9 o'clock until noon is the first rehearsal, and that's a very important one. If you can make that, we encourage you. Maybe you don't sing in the choir normally, but this is the opportunity to do that. I'm going to be uh, led in prayer now. By Bill Williamson. Please join me. Lord, we read in your word that you, you ask us, to whom will you compare me? You ask us, who is my equal? Lord, we praise you because you can be compared to no one. None is your equal. We can look to the heavens. We see all the stars that you created, all the stars that you call by name. And we praise you, Lord, for your creativity, your power, your majesty. And Lord, we look at ourselves and we say it makes no sense that at the same time, the great God of the universe cares for each one of us individually more than anybody on earth cares for us. And we pray, Lord, that when we live our lives, that our lives would show lives of praise and thanks for who you are and how much you love us. And we thank you so much, Lord, for how you work through the lives of other people. We look at the baptisms this morning, and we thank you how you've worked in the lives of these young people 
and through the lives of moms and dads and aunts and uncles and friends and teachers. And we are in awe. We pray for those, Lord, in our in this sanctuary, in our church family who are hurting. And it seems like we've lost an awful lot of people in the last couple months, Lord. They're home with you. Many of them are home with other brothers and sisters who have gone to join you, and we praise you, praise you for that, but they're missed. And we have people here, Lord, husbands and wives and sons and daughters and grandsons and granddaughters and close friends that miss them. We pray for comfort. We pray for peace. We pray, Lord, for those around the world that are suffering because they are standing strong for the Lord Jesus Christ. We look in our own country, Lord, and we say, boy, we have it so easy compared to so many because we know so many are truly, truly suffering and they're seeing their family members suffer. But we know you're there with them and we pray for your comfort on those folks, Lord. We pray for our whole missionary family. We pray especially this morning for Marge Montgomery. We pray your continued blessing on Marge. We thank you that she continues to have a heart to reach out with the gospel message to people around her. And we know she has two special people in her heart right now. We pray for their salvation. And we pray for that school in Pakistan that Marge has been connected with for decades, Lord. We pray for their ongoing ministry there. We pray that you would continue to work in and through March. And now, Lord, because you can do more than we can ask or even imagine, we ask you that you would take the offering that we have here, multiply it, and use it for your purposes to bring honor and glory to you. We pray all this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our Savior. Amen. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not to your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. So the message today is... Jesus.
and obey But we never can prove The delights of His love Unto all on the altar we lay For the favor He shows And the joy He bestows And for them who will trust and obey Thank you, Frida. If you could turn with me as the hordes depart to uh, John chapter 14. I'll read out loud and you can read along with me. John chapter 14 verses 20, 15 to 24. The Lord Jesus is speaking here. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live. You also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to Jesus, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, 
If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. You can stick something in that passage. We'll be back to it later. But turn to Matthew 7 to start this morning. And while you're turning to Matthew 7, I'd like you to finish the words of a song for me. And I'm not going to sing it either. I'm going to say it to you. Got that? The wise man built his house upon a... The wise man built his house upon a... The wise man built his house upon a... And the rain came tumbling down. Second verse. The foolish man built his house upon the... The foolish man built his house on the... The foolish man built his house on the sand. And the rain came tumbling down, right? If I ask you what the point of that parable, that song is based on, could you tell me? Or is it just for a nice kid's song? Let's review. For some of you, it's review. For some of you, it's new. Occasionally, we're looking at the fact that if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, the New Testament refers to you more than anything else as a disciple. That's what you're called. And so occasionally, we've been studying what the New Testament tells us disciples are so we can ask the, answer this question, are we being what we are? If we say we're disciples, are we being what the New Testament says disciples are? Now, we understand the word disciple in and of itself just means learner or student. But as we've studied it, we've found out that in first century Israel, the word disciple meant much more than just learner or student. It was far beyond that. And so a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the aspect that in Jesus' time, Those who were disciples of various teachers or rabbis would not just claim those rabbis as teachers, they would confess them as their authority. This is the person I obey. This is the person I listen to. Whatever the rabbi told his disciples is what the rabbi, what the disciples would do. That's different than just a student, isn't it? From there we discussed, all right, what does that mean for us if we say we're disciples of Jesus Christ? And we had this phrase, what does it mean that Jesus is Lord? And we understand it means first acknowledging that's what he is by his own statement. Matthew 28, 18, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. He is Lord, but is that all we're talking about? I just say, well, he just says he's Lord, so he's Lord. And the answer was no, because 1 Peter 3.15 said this, but set Christ apart as Lord in your hearts and always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks about the hope you possess. And so what's it mean that I then set Christ apart as Lord in my heart? Well, I don't just say He's Lord. I then say He is my Lord. That's how I set Him apart. And after I do that, and then it should become obvious in my life that he comes first in my life because he's supposed to have preeminence in everything. And so if I say he's my Lord, it should be demonstrated by whether he comes first or doesn't. 
So we kind of summarize it like this. What's it mean that Jesus is Lord or we set him apart as Lord? It means we bow or submit to his lordship in every area of our life. That's what we're saying when we confess him as Lord. Now, unfortunately, Jesus then said, a lot of disciples have a problem, though. And the problem is this. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? And you don't do what I tell you. Why do you say I'm the one in charge, but you don't do what I tell you to do? How does that correspond with you saying you're my disciple? We're here in Matthew chapter 7. Look at verses 21 to 23, and we're trying to figure out what do we do instead of obeying? Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Why don't we obey him the way that we should? And I reminded you a couple of weeks ago when we started this, we tend to think we're much more obedient than we really are. But the first reason why some don't obey him the way that they should is because they really don't have a relationship with him. They have no relationship. They're trying to follow religion. They're trying to follow rules of a religion. They think they have to work their way to heaven. And that's why you're not obeying him as Lord, because you think you're obeying some rules. That's why he says in here, not everyone who says to me, Lord, enters the kingdom, because some of those I'm going to declare to them, I never knew you, which implies they never knew him personally. They followed a religion, not a relationship. We had verses like this in Romans 10, 9, and 10. How do I know I'm in a relationship with Jesus Christ? Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, with the mouth one confesses and is saved. If I haven't done everything those verses tell me to do, I am not a disciple of Jesus Christ. I'm not saved. If you say, well, I remember years ago when I was a kid, I said words. Fine, do you believe that God raised him from the dead because of your sins. And what do you confess about him right now? You may say, well, I believe that he died, he wrote, died and rose from the dead, but have you ever confessed that to anybody? And now do you confess Jesus is Lord? If you can't, you're not his disciple. Not my words, God's words. And so the first thing some of you have to face this morning, you may not be obeying Jesus Christ as your Lord because He's not. You don't have a relationship with Him. But many of you in here do have a relationship, and we do something different, don't we? Instead of obeying, we do what we call replacement. And that's in these verses also. We do things that look enough like obedience that we think, oh, I'm being obedient when we're not. And some of those things were this. I approve of him. I call him by name. I call him Lord. I say the right things about him. That doesn't mean I'm necessarily obedient to him. Remember in this passage, he says, not everybody who says that enters the kingdom of heaven. Others, we appropriate his name. Or use spiritual terms. Here they don't just call him Lord, they call him, they're really spiritual, Lord, Lord. Do it twice. 
And they prophesy in his name and cast out demons in his name. And we say, but I pray in Jesus' name. That doesn't necessarily mean we're being obedient. Or instead of really obeying, we just assist at times. And as long as we do something spiritual occasionally, we think I must be being obedient. So as long as I come to church on Sunday morning, the rest of the week I can do what I want, right? And here these we're assisting him. We're prophesying. We're casting out demons. We're giving you help every now and then. That doesn't mean we're being obedient. And then something we looked at we all have a problem with. We spend a lot of time applauding God, and He should be applauded. He's great. His Word is great. But we do that and we think, I'm obedient. It was a great lesson. It was a great service. It's a great passage of Scripture I just read. Isn't that a great piece of Scripture? Well, what'd you do with it? Because applauding is not necessarily obedience. And down to verse 26, it says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them. And what we do instead of obedience is we acknowledge. I heard God's word. After this morning, you're going to walk out and you probably can say some of the things you heard this morning. And we tend to think, because I heard it, that's obedience. And God said, no, it's not. Hearing's not doing. That's what James says, right? Be doers of the word and not just hearers deceiving yourselves and yet this is what we do in place of obeying and in our minds we think i'm obeying or we do what king saul did in the old testament we studied that where he rationalized that he didn't do everything god told him to do in fact he said look i brought you animals to sacrifice even though we were supposed to kill them i brought them to sacrifice and samuel says to him what that doesn't mean anything You didn't obey. To obey is better than sacrifice. Partial obedience is not obedience. No matter how many times we try to justify our actions before God, there is no justification before God when we don't do what He says. Or fourthly, what do we replace? We replace refusing the Lord. And some of you say, what was that one? Remember Peter in Acts chapter 10 when the sheet comes down with the unclean animals... And God says, kill and eat. And he says, no way, Lord, three times. I'm not doing it. But he thought he had good reasons for not doing it. Right? It was foreign to what he was taught from the Old Testament. He thought it was pretty foolish. He was fearful of change. Well, God must understand if I say I'm afraid to do it, God said, it's okay if I don't do it, right? Or I've got my mind fixed. I know what I want to do, and God's okay if I say this is what I want to do. And so we refuse, but we think God's okay with it because we think we have good reasons. And God tells Peter what? What did you forget, Peter? What God calls clean, you don't have a right to say is unclean. You can't change what God wants you to do. What we do instead of obeying. Let's go look at one more this morning. I'm going to call it riding the fence. Look at Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. For either you hate the one and love the other, or if you be devoted to the one and despise the other, you can't serve God and money. That's riding the fence, straddling both sides. God says you can't serve God and money. What do we say? Yeah, I can. I think I can. I think I can do both. 
And because I'm occasionally doing the right side of the fence, what God wants, I can keep doing the wrong side of the fence, and it's okay. And God says, no, you can't do both. If you're going to be obedient, you must choose one. And when we're riding the fence, we're not being obedient. Look at verses 31 to 33. What are some of the examples of this in chapter 6? Therefore, don't be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I have to either choose to seek what the Gentiles seek, which is making outward things a priority, or I seek what God says to seek, which is inward righteousness. And I can't do both and be obedient. No matter how many times I think I can be. No one can serve two masters. Mark 10, 42, those of you that are in leadership in any way, either in the church or in your families, Jesus calls his disciples to him and says, you know those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles, lord it over them, but it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Well, if I'm in leadership, I can do both, right? I can be on a power trip, and I can be the servant. No, I can't. I can only be one or the other to be obedient. And God says, you got to be the slave. Moses in Hebrews 11, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. What was the choice Moses had to make? It's either God and Christ or the fleeting pleasures of sin. It's either God and Christ or the treasures of Egypt. You can't have both and call yourself obedient. Why? James 4 says this, Don't you know friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. I can't live like the world and be God's friend. It can't work that way. We think we can. God says you can't. That's why Joshua says this in Joshua 24. I won't read the whole passage, but you know what he says to the children of Israel. Fear the Lord and serve Him. But if you can't claim Him as God, pick your gods. Serve the gods you came up with out of Egypt or the gods you've seen. But don't try to play both sides of the fence because you can't. And then Joshua says, here's my choice. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. You can't serve God and anything else and be obedient. Remember what Jesus said in the garden. Here's the point. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. It's either God's way or our way, and we can't do both. And be obedient. Pick. Some of you in areas of your life are not obeying God. You're riding the fence. And sometimes you lean this way, and sometimes you lean this way. And God says, pick one. If you're going to be a disciple, I hope you pick the right one. 
but pick one. Now we've looked at what obedience isn't. Let's look at what obedience is. What's it look like? What's the picture of it here? And I remind you a phrase I told you two weeks ago, what you really are determines what you do. If you're really a disciple, it's going to show itself in at least a couple of ways here. So you look at verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Here's your first aspect. What does obedience look like? It's somebody who's responsive to the will of his Father. By the way, that's how you know you're in relationship with the Son. You do the will of his Father. Now, some of you look at that phrase and you say this, well, can we really know God's will? Isn't that kind of a secret? Isn't it a mystery? Isn't it something i got to search for? Well, what does Scripture tell us? Psalm 40, verse 8, I delight to do your will, O my God, your laws within my heart. Did the psalmist know what God's will was, evidently? The answer is yes. Ephesians 5, don't be foolish, understand what the will of the Lord is. Can I understand what God's will is? The answer is evidently. Colossians 1.9, Paul prays this, We haven't ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Can we know God's will? The answer is yes. The problem is we tend to use that phrase when we're really talking about something else. We're usually talking about, I want to know what God's plan is for me. Well, that is a secret. Only God knows what his plan's going to be, how he's going to take me. But his will is no secret. So if you say, if I knew what God's will was, I would do it. Well, let's help you. What do we know to be God's will? Because this is the person who does the will of my Father. Question. Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments. Do you think those are God's will for us to do, yes or no? Well, that's pretty obvious, isn't it? That God commanded those. John chapter 7, Jesus answered them, My teaching's not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my authority. In those verses, Jesus is equating God's will to what he teaches. Anything he teaches is God's will. Here, is this obvious enough for us? This is the will of God. Your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Is that pretty definite? Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Not a secret there, is it? 1 Peter 2, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor supreme or to governors that sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good, for this is the will of God that by doing good you should put the silence the ignorance of foolish people. Is God's will a secret? Now, this is what the psalmist reminded us. Your word is a lamp to my feet and light to my path. Where do I find God's will? It's pretty obvious, isn't it? Anything commanded in his word is his will. It's not a secret but it is something I have to study and look at and learn and memorize because this is what he wants me to do. So what's the picture of obedience here that he says? A true disciple is one who is responsive to God's will. He does 
the will of the Father, which is right here. But it's a little more than that. More than just being response, I'm going to give you a second word. A disciple who's obedient to his Lord, I'm going to use the word relentless. Look down at verse 24, Matthew 7. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Oh, there's that parable, isn't it? And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Look over to Luke 6. Luke chapter 6, same parable, a few different details. And it's interesting. Look what the parable follows in Luke 6. Verse 46, what does Jesus say? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Have you got a point what the parable's about? Everyone who comes to me and hears my word and does them, I'll show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. The parable has to do with either being obedient to the words of Christ or not obedient to the words of Christ. So what's similar about the two men in the parables? We put these two passages together. They're both building and finishing houses. Did you see that? They're both building next to a stream, and they're both working in sand. So they're, where they're building is not a factor. They're building in a similar place. And they're both going to experience storms and floods. Can I remind you of one thing from this? Obeying Christ the way we should and giving lip service to it can look similar. At least for a while. What are the differences between the two men? Well, what's obvious, one's called wise and one's called foolish, right? One building on rock and one building just on sand or just on the ground. One digs deep and one builds just on the surface. One built with a foundation and one didn't do it. And when a storm came, one's house could not be shaken and one's collapsed. There's a big difference between the two, though, isn't there? Well, what's the problem with the foolish man? What's a foolish man satisfied with? Appearance. With what's on the surface, with what was easiest, with what took the least effort, with what was quickest, as long as it looked like a complete house, he was fine with it. Question, did both men have the same words, the same instructions, the same details? Yes or no? Yes, because Jesus said, he hears my words and does them. So one didn't have incomplete words. He had it all. But here's what he thought. He didn't think what he did or didn't do would really matter in the long run. He didn't think full obedience made a difference over partial obedience. 
And so when the storms came, what happened? It all falls apart. doesn't last. Well, how about the wise man? Look at verse 47 first. Everyone who comes to me and hears my word and does them. You see those three phrases? Here's what true obedience is. Number one, you come to him. We sit there waiting for the word to come to us. We've already got the word. We need to go to it. Comes to me, hears my word, and does them. That's relentless. And so we see the example in there of the wise man, don't we? It says he digs deep. That takes more time, more effort, more planning. He understood he had to be based on a firm foundation. He had to follow all the requirements for building a solid, complete house because he understood the right way was not the easy way. And that's why verse 48 says, when he followed all the words, the house was well built. By the way, because they were Christ's words, not his own. The wise man, the obedient man, is relentless. He tries to follow everything that he's told from the master. And by the way, we know that our foundation of what we believe is Jesus Christ, correct? 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says, Let everyone take care of how he builds upon the foundation. No one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And with no doubt, what we believe is based on Christ. But let me tell you this. From this parable, it tells you what you do is built on your complete obedience to Christ. If you want it to last, if you want it to have an impact, if you want to demonstrate who God really is, you've got to follow it all. We have to be relentless. How do I know I'm being obedient? Number one, I'm responsive to God's will, which is found in His Word. But more than that, I am relentless in trying to obey everything He tells me. Go back to John 13. I don't know what area of your life the Holy Spirit is reminding you right now that you are not being obedient is. Only you and the Holy Spirit know that. But you may be thinking, well, why should I obey? What's the real reason? Why should I change now? Well, let's give some reasons. First here in John 13 is because you respect his position. Verse 13, you call me teacher and Lord. And you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed you your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. Why should I obey him? Because I know his position. He is Lord. There shouldn't be a question of whether I'm going to do what he says or not. Secondly, I should do it because I know that is really pleasing to him. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 8? I always do those things that please the Father. And that's the same goal we should have, isn't it? That we do what pleases him. Thirdly, look over in John 14. This is a proof of our relationship with him. Did you catch that as this was read for you? Verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. This is a proof I have a relationship with Christ. I do what he says. No excuses, no ifs, ands, ors, buts, no what, nothing. I do what he says. Did you catch verse 24? 
Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. That's pretty direct, isn't it? Are you proving your relationship with him by your obedience? The fourth one may seem a little strange. Why should we obey? To realize God's love for us. Because there are a couple interesting verses here. Verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Hmm. Look at verse 23. If anyone loves me, he'll keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Now, does this mean God loves me more if I obey and loves me less if I disobey? And some of you are sitting there thinking, well, yeah. Wrong. God loved me while I was still a sinner. So this is not he's saying, I'll love you more if you obey, and I'll love you less if you don't. That's not what he's saying. What he's evidently saying is this. When I obey, I experience God's love better. I understand God's love better. I even use a lousy word. I feel God's love. Some of you sit here and say, I don't feel God loves me. I have a feeling you're probably not being obedient in some area of your life because Jesus says, you obey me. You obey my commandments. I manifest myself to you. You will understand my love better than when you don't. Is the reward in obeying him? Yeah, James 1 says, the doer who acts will be blessed in his doing. Look back to John 13. Remember he said, I want you to wash one another's feet. And he says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. What's the ultimate reason? Do you realize the purpose of the disciple in Jesus' time was he wanted to look like his teacher? He wanted to sound like his teacher. He wanted to act like his teacher. He wanted to... State opinions just like his teacher. And that's why Matthew says it's enough for the disciple to be like his teacher. Why should I obey Christ? Because it's the one thing that reflects him to others. Look at verse 15 of John 13. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. How else do they know whose disciples we are if we don't do what he says and reflect who he is to others? Should we obey? Go to 1 Peter 3. The one who's obedient, the one who claims Jesus is Lord, is responsive to his will. He does what he says to do. By the way, you got to witness baptism today, didn't you? Is it God's will that we be baptized? Is it just for kids? Sorry, I had to throw that in. First Peter 3. Let's see some uh, a progress test here. What are some of the ways we know if we have been submitting to the Lordship of Christ? What should we see? Verse 13. Now who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? 
But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Set Christ apart as Lord. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. How do I know I'm bound to His Lordship? First he says in verse 13, I'm zealous for what's good, and that's by God's definition, not our definition. I'm zealous to do what God says is good. He says, I'm suffering for righteousness. If you obey the Lord, you are going to suffer for righteousness. If you're not suffering for righteousness' sake, there's probably not being really obedient openly. Because he said in verse 16, you're going to be slandered. They're going to revile your good behavior. Verse 17, you're going to suffer for doing good. Thirdly, he says, I'll be prepared to give an answer. And by the way, it's not just prepared. I'm giving an answer. If anybody, is anybody asking you why you do what you do? Why you think the way you think? If they're not asking you and you're not saying, I do what I do because I'm a disciple of my Lord Jesus Christ, then there's something wrong. He says you have a good conscience, and this is before God, that you're doing what God wants you to do. And then he says, I see your good behavior, and it's not just good behavior, it's your good behavior in Christ. What do we have to ask ourselves this morning? Why do we call Him Lord and not do what He tells us to do? What we are determines what we do. And so what would you do? Set Christ apart as Lord and start doing those things He's telling you to do to show we are disciples of Him. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful for your salvation, for making us your disciples, for calling us, giving us your word by which we know what you'll want us to do. Your Holy Spirit applies it to us, and yet we need your help that we don't rely on ourselves, rely on excuses. We don't just fall back and do what we've always done, but we make changes to obey you. Help us to be the disciples you've called us to be. Amen. Let's stand and respond by singing to God our commitment to Him and our desire to be obedient. <laughs>
that others see our works and glorify you in heaven. Amen.